You're listening to Deus et Machina, a podcast that brings people together for short conversations about religion and technology. Our first season has to do with artificial intelligence. I am your host, Matthew Vaughn. My co-host for each episode will be Norm Jackness, a professor of technology management at Columbia University. This is the second of three episodes in which Norm and I talked to Jacob Goodson from Southwestern College about the philosophical implications of putting religion and AI into conversation. If you have not done so, we recommend that you turn to episode one for that insightful conversation. We begin this episode by talking about the work of another philosopher named David Chalmers. Much of this episode asks what we mean when we use some of the words that are common in this conversation. Words like virtual and reality. We are not the only ones that are asking questions about the relationship between religion and AI. In fact, if you look a general search between AI and God in the religions, the religious studies database, Atma, it certainly surprised me how much is out there how many people are asking questions about this and the fact that we are certainly walking down a few already, shall we say, beaten paths. Jacob, I'd like for you to tell us about one of those paths today. Could you tell us about the work of David Chalmers? And he specifically got a new book called Reality Plus, one that I think, if I were a betting man, touches on a few of the items that we've discussed, but perhaps in considerably more nuance and or with some different trajectories. Could you tell us a little bit about David Chalmers' new book and perhaps a little bit about why it's received with a little bit of controversy these days? And then as an extension, Norm, I would love for your reaction to some of Jacob's admittedly third-party summary, but we'll bring Chalmers on if we're lucky. But for right now, let's talk a little bit about how this lands. Yeah, well, it turns out, Matthew, that we've been talking Chalmers this whole time just without mentioning him. So uh, everything we've talked about, he has something to say. Chalmers is currently the university professor of philosophy and neuroscience at New York University. This is his fourth book. And within philosophy, Chalmers' book, the full title is Reality Plus, Virtual Worlds and the Problems of Philosophy. This book has become quite controversial and popular just in the last few months. Uh, His overall argument concerns how artificial intelligence does not serve as the kind of threat that some philosophers claim that it is. According to Chalmers, quote, virtual reality is genuine reality, end quote. And philosophers need to stop talking in dualistic terms about them. He goes on to give us definitions of virtual world and virtual reality, and then defends the position virtual realism. So according to Chalmers, a virtual world is an interactive computer-generated world, whereas a virtual reality is an immersive, interactive computer-generated world. He defends a position that he calls virtual realism. This is the thesis that virtual reality is a genuine reality with emphasis on the thesis that virtual objects are real and not illusory. He defends this against what he calls virtual fictionalism, which he claims is the dominant view in philosophy. And given the response to his book, I would say that that's proving to be true, that most philosophers hold to what he calls virtual fictionalism as the thesis that virtual objects and virtual worlds are fictional. 
and are and distract us from real reality and therefore are problematic that we should be deeply skeptical about virtual worlds. So Chalmers is trying to overcome that skepticism in this 450-page book. He's trying to give us a new argument that virtual worlds do not replace or do not become a substitute for the world that we live in every day, but that virtual worlds can enhance our knowledge, can enhance our experiences, and can lead to different skills and tools that we're not able to achieve simply living in uh, the world that we experience through our perceptions. Okay. So, Jacob, thank you for the summary. What do you, Jacob Goodson, make of Chalmers' argument? Because that's a more direct way of framing some of the things we've talked about, but it's a considerably more articulate reaction to the way in which he defines some of his terms, which is half of... As I understand it, almost half of philosophy is just figuring out what we mean by certain words at certain times and in certain out of certain mouths. But what do you make not only of the things we've talked about in this distinction he's drawing between virtual realism, virtual world, virtual reality, et cetera, but generally what do you make of his argument that essentially we need to stop worrying about it? That's an excellent question. It's one I've been struggling with and thinking about. I think my own tenets just based upon how impactful thinkers like Henry Thoreau and Mark Heidegger have been on me, who are skeptical about technology themselves. My own tendency has been to be skeptical of technology and to blame technology for kind of the lack of attention that I witness amongst undergraduate students, the habits of distraction, and to think that technology has in some ways made our world, if not worse, at least more difficult. But reading Chalmers' book, and again, thinking about these issues for the last couple of years, as I said earlier, has made me realize that I don't think technology is the problem. I think that develops a kind of straw man argument. I think the problem is that humans need to be more disciplined and need to learn how to, or relearn how to become more attentive and to gain, to break our habits of distraction. And I think what Chalmers does a good job of is showing how things like virtual worlds can in fact impact and reshape our attention spans. And according to Chalmers, right, if you find yourself in a virtual world, whether that's a video game or something even broader that Norm was talking about earlier, you do have to fully engage and fully interact with the virtual objects or the the digital objects around you. And so Chalmers, it, it seems like my takeaway is that Chalmers thinks that more technology is a solution to our problems of inattentiveness and the habit of distraction, not less technology. I find myself being more persuaded by that as I think about it. And it's too easy to make technology a kind of boogeyman and it deflects us away from our own vices and bad habits. And now that I understand more of what virtual reality and virtual worlds are like, according to Chalmers, I do have a new sense that these technologies can enhance our everyday experience of, of the reality that we share together. So I'm going to put words in your mouth and tell me if I'm hearing you correctly, Jacob. I want to repeat it back to you and Matthew speak. That why Chalmers, where Chalmers is persuasive is fundamentally not in the intrinsic ethics, if you will, and the intrinsic value of technology, but in its functional result among humans. Am I hearing you wrong? I'm not sure Chalmers would exactly put it that way, but that would be my interpretation of his argument. Yeah. Right. I mean, for Chalmers, technology is the 
creative extension of human minds. And Chalmers, his early work is all about consciousness and how there are tools that we can use to expand our minds. His position in philosophy of mind is known as the extended mind. And so this work is simply the kind of technological implications of that argument that the more technology we have, as long as it's produced with high quality and there is intentionality within the creators, that it actually can enhance or improve our minds or, or even strengthen our minds uh, because they become different ways to navigate the world and they provide us with different uh, tools that may not be available to us in what we might call the, the, the real world. Okay. Fascinating. I have genuinely not thought of it in those ways before. All right, Norm, I'm curious how any and all of this lands. So uh, it sounds to me uh, from the summary that Chalmers is making a reasonably good argument. I, I've said this before. There's not been no technology since the invention of fire that has been without positive and negatives. And this isn't any different, I think. Uh, I just had a I'm going to end up with a question, but uh, I want to point out that the word virtual originally meant something a little bit different than what we use it now. It meant almost. So in some sense, instead of saying virtual reality, which sounds very techy, we could talk about almost reality. And that sort of gives you a hint as to what the intent is and maybe what the fact is. And there have been, we're in the early stages of this, but there have been some, I gather some researchers who look at the way the brain reacts to events in virtual realities, as well as in the traditional physical reality and sees the same things under the same circumstances. So from the, the point of view of the people experiencing this stuff, it is real. But let's take the computer out of this for the moment, right? Because we're talking about computers and AI. Take it out. Are movies and novels virtual reality? And what's the reaction of the philosophers who are against Chalmers' point of view if they start using the same words about movies and novels and poetry and whatever? I mean, I think those are two slightly different questions. I think we let's do B and then come back to A. So can you, because I think A is a, an actually interesting metaphor, one that might serve to ground some of the conversations, much like the parent-child thing, which I actually want to return to. I've got a parent-child question in a minute. But Jacob, what are, to piggyback or maybe reframe one of Norm's last question is, what are some of the people that are pushing back on Chalmers saying? Well, so the issue is as old as philosophy, which is the issue of skepticism, right? And so virtual worlds, things that are manufactured by computers, things that involve digital objects. The argument is that those things lead us further into a kind of skepticism about what's true in terms of our, uh, in terms of our perceptions. And so the, the argument's not new. The application of the argument is new, I would say, right? And so we could talk about books, for instance, as more being part of the real world from, from this kind of philosophical perspective than not, whereas if you put a headset on and you start walking around a boxing ring, and you're pretending to box Michael B. Jordan, as I tried to do a few weeks ago, right? There's some serious skepticism from a philosophical perspective. Is this boxing ring real? Are the punches that I'm feeling real? And philosophers are going to say, absolutely not. They're, they're not real. And so that becomes a reason to be skeptical of all forms of virtual reality or even the products of AI in terms of how they impact our perceptions. For me, the books are, books are more part of the real world. I think movies 
provide kind of a more gray area than books do. And of course, philosophers were skeptical of movies when they first were invented. Uh, as I mean, you, you can go back to the early 20th century and philosophers claiming we have invented Plato's cave and now people are paying when they go to the theater to be in Plato's cave. We're supposed to be escaping Plato's cave, but movies were precisely seen as a kind of the, the shadows on the wall, as Plato talks about in book seven of the Republic that we thought we were trying to overcome for 3,000 years. There is a habit of skepticism within philosophy about, about any new technology. And the issue becomes, right, how can we trust our senses in the everyday world if we have things that obviously do not count as w what we should trust in, in, in virtual worlds? Okay. I want to... I want to return, before I shift the pivot of the conversation a little bit more, do you have any follow-ups or corollary thoughts? Uh, no, I, I, not really. I mean, I think we can tell this as far as it can be, I guess partly the only thing I would say is I'm not part of the philosophical argument, but I do follow the behavioral science. And the idea that what we think we are perceiving is the exact real world is, of course, one that would be disputed by people in the behavioral sciences. That there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of our brain actually is devoted to making sense of all of these inputs, if you will. And, uh, and we don't necessarily always make sense in a way that matches quite what somebody might say would be the reality. Yeah, I, I actually, that was one of the things to, pick, to, to piggyback off that norm. When Jacob was talking, one of the things that I kept thinking about was yet again, how much a definition of our terms matters. And <laughs> two how much the definition of the word artificial means and what artificiality looks like when it comes to human perception, what it looks like fr from the perspective of the type of intelligence that is generated now by machines. I'm not sure how artificial, which one is more or less artificial and what we mean by that word sometimes. I think when I think of artificial intelligence, it's like this fuzzy thing in my brain. So maybe, I mean, let's just pause and just, if we don't mind, before I ask another parent-child question, what do we mean? What is the word artificial that we're reacting to up to this point? And what does that word mean? That's a Jacob question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we did define it, Matthew. I think we can go back to our first part of the conversation where artificial are things that are the constructs or products of human creativity, right? They're, so a, a tree is not artificial in this sense of the word. But the computer that I'm talking into right now would be artificial. But then what about an apple tree that's by definition a hybrid of different other trees? Is that an artificial entity? Uh, no, it functions as if it were a natural yeah. entity, still makes oxygen, makes fruit, et cetera. I mean, I would say for definitional purposes, no, right? That it's, it's still more part of the natural world than a pure construct of human creativity. What about so Dolly the sheep? So, for example, then that, that broaches the issue of transhumanism that we spoke about, I think, and that's a nice segue into that that we spoke about earlier in the week. And so I guess maybe, so Jacob, just to ask you a question I have, haven't prepped you for in any way, but I'm curious where your thoughts are. Do you see transhumanistic enhancement as being categorically artificial? And if there's, I'm meaning that word without any real value associated with it. I'm not saying that because something is artificial, it's bad or whatever. It's not yeah. like a label on a, an organic fruit snack thing that says it's definitely not artificially flavored. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just what we mean by the word. Yeah, I mean, sticking to the 
basic definition, which is what you asked me for. I mean, I, I think those things would have to count as artificial. But again, you so, can be playful with this and, and make the theological move that all natural objects are artificial if God is a creator and the world it's created, right? So yeah, yeah that we're living essentially in God's uh, matrix. I don't, I don't want to yeah. stick to that simple definition, but I but that's what you asked for. So no, no, I, I agree. Well, all right, so I asked for a simple definition because I'm a simple man. But if say I wanted to get a little bit more uh, more granular, Jacob, what would I ask? Not what would I say? Well, I guess the I mean the issue here is the degrees of human creativity, right? And I think I mean it seems like the podcast has become about that particular question more than anything else. Uh, but what are the degrees of human creativity? So I would suggest, I mean, I like Norm's emphasis, which he's right, that virtual actually is closer to the word almost, right? So I would suggest that there's ways to make those kind of distinctions and, and think in terms of degrees. So like this laptop is more artificial than the apple tree, right? But the apple tree is more artificial than an oak tree. But then if you want to bring, again, you have a religious studies audience, you want to bring God into it, right? Then everything's artificial. That's part of the created world from a philosophical perspective. So, I mean, I would say that you could go from one extreme to the other and just have different degrees of artificiality might be the most helpful way to approach it. That's fascinating. I have another question that pivots us back to Chalmers a little bit, but Norm, I don't want to detract from anything you might want to offer at this point. No, I just talking about the God uh, sort of perspective that Jacob just introduced, which struck me, isn't there the story in the Bible with Adam and Eve that God gave humankind wisdom and intelligence, right? That was the whole business with eating the apple to use your apple tree thing. And we're now giving wisdom and intelligence to machine, to our machines. I mean, I don't know, just what the, you know how far you take this. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a product of the Mid-Atlantic and New England Maritimes regions of the American Academy of Religion. Matthew Vaughn is executive producer. Norm Jackness and Ronald Bernier are producers. All recording, editing, and post-production work was done by David Dalt of Sandberg Media. We would like to extend a special thank you to our guests for their time and their expertise. All opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the voices offering them and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of others affiliated with this podcast or the American Academy of Religion. If you would like to learn more about the American Academy of Religion, please visit aarweb.org.